Well, we're following the journeys of the Apostle Paul as he is led on by the Spirit of God, and we find ourselves in a real shipwreck of a chapter this morning, chapter number 27 of the book of Acts. So chapter 27 in the book of Acts. Just the first verse I'll read and give you some background as to what has transpired uh, thus far. It says, When it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners under one named Julius, a centurion of Augustan band. Entering in the ship of Adronimus, we launched, meanwhile, to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus a Macedonia, of Macedonia of Thessalonica, being with us. Now, if you go back, you're going to find out that Paul, years before, had been given a promise by God Almighty. And as you follow the life of Paul, you're going to see how God goes before Paul. God deals with all the matters, and His will will not be changed. It says in uh, chapter number 23 and verse 11, uh, it says, In the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also in Rome. And when the enemy heard this, it must have been all hands on board. Now if only we can keep him from going to Rome and thwart the will of God, he will have had success. Do you realize that, that God's will, down to the smallest of details, is absolutely unquestionably fulfilled? And that every time Satan got wind of, of whatever was going on, Satan began to try and thwart that, change that matter. If he could just change that matter, he felt, well, then he'd have the victory. And so the whole emphasis now was keep Paul out of Rome. Was the enemy going to be able to do that? <laughs> no. He didn't even have a chance of doing that. And you remember what happened next. There, there was this plot by the Jews that said, uh, we'll go under the authorities and we'll tell them, listen, we just want to talk to Paul. And, and what they really had in mind is that they kill him. Why is it that immediately following these words that God had said, you will go to Rome, that immediately there's a plot against his life? Oh, sometimes I, I just want to, I want to pull back the veil, you know? Sometimes we look at things and, and, and we look at them from a, a, a strictly horizontal basis. And we never really unveil heaven and what's really going on up there. We, we, we sometimes uh, don't see the fingerprints of the enemy. Well, I see the fingerprints of the enemy here. Instantly, there's an attempt on Paul's life. And you remember that his nephew thwarted that, told Paul what was going to take place, and God's will continued to go forward. And then in chapter 25, we have this man Festus. And it says that Festus willing to appease the Jews... In other words, he, he, he'd love to just, more than love to just uh, give them what they want and get this matter over with. And so he tries to encourage Paul to go back to Jerusalem. Now, another attempt on the part of the enemy to, to thwart the will of God because God said you're going to go to Rome. 
And what ultimately happened? Well, Paul saw right through the whole thing. Whether Festus knew that he'd be killed if he went back to Jerusalem, whether Festus really cared or not, I don't know. But the will of God marches on. There's nothing can stop it. God's will continues as he had planned. So there he is in Caesarea. Now, this is the amazing thing. When God said, you're going to go to Rome, he didn't tell him how he was going to go to Rome. He didn't say, well, we've got a nice little ship, all comfortable and everything, and you're going to make a nice little journey across the uh, the, the sea there and make your way up to Italy and you'll be there and everything will be fine. He didn't know all the details. He just knew that he was going to go to Rome. But isn't it interesting that in Caesarea, Paul had spent some two years, and the Bible makes it clear that he was well kept in those two years. In other words, room and board were free. God provided for Paul every step of the way. It may not have been exactly the way we would have envisioned it to be that way. We would think that he would put him up in a grand uh, 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 motel and the best of accommodations. Everything would be great. He makes him a prisoner. And then he puts him up in the best of accommodations. Really, isn't it amazing? He made him a prisoner. You say, oh, I don't want to become a prisoner. Well, I don't. that's not my plight. I certainly wouldn't want... Yes, I'm going to make you a prisoner, and then I'm going to give you all that you need and to spare. And so for two years, he was kept in Caesarea by the hand of God. No Agrippa, no nothing. The hand of God. And God continued on because the Word of God is clear. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. I I love that verse. I I keep reminding myself of that verse because I have just as much trouble, battles in my own life, and keeping a good perspective on things as anyone in this room. But the word of God is sure and steadfast. You seek my kingdom, I'll take care of your smallest of issues. Room... Board, what you'll wear? Oh, come on. God is the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. I think Paul knew that. Paul understood after being carried along by God, every step of the way being carried along by God, he began to dwell with God in intimacy like as never before. And so, for two years, he kept in Caesarea, completely at the charge of the Roman government, the very ones who had crucified his Lord, the very ones who had crucified the Lord of whom he preaches. And he preached there, and he would preach in Rome, and he would preach all the way along the way as he went to Rome. Verse number 3. And the next day we touched at Sidon. And I have this uh, little map up here, I think, and um, we'll try to get that up anyway. There it is. There it is. And Sidon, let's see if I can get this little thing here. There's Sidon right there. So he comes out of Caesarea, and he heads up 
towards Sidon. So that's where we're at now. Verse number 3. And Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. So he gets up to Sidon, and of course, Paul had already been on three missionary journeys, so he, had, he knows people all over the place. There are little churches all over the place. There are little congregations of, of believers all over the place. And when Paul got to Sidon, uh, uh, he, he probably said, you know, i got a lot of friends. Can I, can I go see them? Now, this centurion, he, he was taking his life into his own hand because if Paul would have escaped, it would have been his head. You find that out at the end of the chapter. But if Paul would have escaped, it would have been his head. But, but God worked in the hearts of, of, of this centurion and courteously entreated Paul. What, an, what an incra- a, 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 a crazy scenario. He's a prisoner. It's said by historians that there were other prisoners. We know there were other prisoners uh, that were involved here. At the end, we'll see there's 276 people involved. A lot of those prisoners were probably going to go to Rome to be fed to lions. Now, Paul didn't know what his fate would be, but a lot of those prisoners, that's, that's, that's their, their, their final destination. And so God places Paul on this ship in order that he might witness and testify to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he constantly does just that. Every opportunity he got, he testified to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse number 4, And when we had launched thence, we sailed under Cyprus, uh, because the winds were contrary. Now, we have Cyprus right over here. So under means over. I don't know why, but under means over. That's where they went over Cyprus. And uh, uh, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of, of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And so they switched ships. This ship that they would probably uh, had would have gone north up into the Aegean Sea and gone back to home port. And they switched ships at Myra, and they got a ship that would go over towards Italy and eventually uh, to Rome. And then verse number 7, And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce could come over again Sindus, the winds not suffering us, we sailed under Crete, over against Salmon, and hardly past it came unto a place which is called the Fair Haven. And of course, we have the Fair Haven right here. And so they made their way up here and then down towards Crete. And on the bottom of Crete is that place called Fair Haven. And in verse number nine, and when much time was spent, and when sailing was not. Uh, was now dangerous because the fast was now already past. Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sir, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much danger, not only of the late uh, of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. And so Paul warns them. It's about October, September at this time, and Paul warns them that. 
this place called Fair Haven. This is where we need to stop and winter. But you see, the clouds hadn't really formed yet. There were still hints and peaks of the sunshine. They did not learn that, that this man was so intimately connected with heaven that he is to be reckoned with. He is to be listened to. Not yet did they feel that way. Let me tell you, if you get to a place called Fair Haven, that seems like a pretty good place to stop. But they didn't. And they made a terrible, tragic mistake by continuing on. Verse number 11 says, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken of by Paul. Now that's going to change. And because the haven was not commodious to winter, uh, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain uh, Phoenice and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete, and uh, lieth towards the southwest and northwest. And then it says in verse 13, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed also by Crete. And so they loosed from Fair Haven. It was a beautiful day. The winds were blowing calm. And they felt, this is our chance. Let's go. Let's get out of this place called Fair Haven. This isn't a great place to winter. I don't know what it was about Fairhaven, it doesn't say, that made it such an uncommodious place to winter. Some, some speculate, historians speculate, that it probably didn't have enough entertainment to satiate the tremendous desire for entertainment on the part of the ship's crew. That would be sheer speculation, but it is possible. They wanted to get someplace possibly where there was a, a little more of that nightlife going on, you know, where they could really enjoy themselves. I mean, they're going to be laid up anyway for months. They might as well get somewhere where they can really enjoy themselves. Fair Haven was not that place. Paul said, stay in Fair Haven. And then we go on, and it says, And when the south winds blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose... Loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But no longer after they arose, uh, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlidon. Many different ways of saying that. You'll have to accept mine. Eurachlidon. It is just a hurricane, is what it really is. It is such strong force winds that, that this ship that they were on, it was actually a grain ship. And, and historians tell us that these grain ships, they were built sturdy. There was usually one mass on these grain ships, and, and the hull of that grain ship was incredibly well put together. It was a strong ship. It was a big ship. There were some 276 people on board this ship, plus there was a full load of grain on this ship. And so it was no small ship. But when God sends a storm, well, God really sends a storm. 
And no matter how big a ship, no matter how well built a ship, it wasn't going to stand up to this particular storm. We might be having a Eurocladin in our own lives, maybe. We feel like our ships are falling apart all around us. But God is still in the ship. Verse 14, but not long after, and then it says, we ran into a hurricane named Eurocladin, and when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. Now, this is not a good thing. I'm, I'm not a sailor. I don't know much about this. But reading it, when you basically just let her drive, you just let her go whichever way the wind desires to take you. Basically, you realize that by trying to go against the wind, you are going to blow the ship into pieces. So you just let it go. And that's exactly uh, what they did here. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into quicksand, uh, uh, straight sail and set and, and, and so were driven. In other words, what they tried to do here was they tried to take cables and they tried to run them underneath the ship and bind the ship together because they, they, they were fearing that the ship is just going to be blown into pieces. Now, this, these are desperate measures that they're taking, incredibly desperate measures. And, and I'm sure that, 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 that those seasoned sailors were in absolute fear. That there wasn't anybody that was uh, walking around the ship with his, his Gorton fishing cap on saying, everything's fine, no problem here. There were all hands on deck, it says. They had much work to do because what they were basically trying to do is bind this ship up so it did not blow into pieces. Verse number 17. And when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lighten the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackle of the ship. Now, this is incredibly desperate situations where you're beginning to lighten the ship because you don't want it going so low when it's going forward. They even throw out the tackle. Now, that is serious matters at this point. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and so no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. In other words, they could not get their bearings. There was no sun during the day. There was no way of seeing the stars at night. They absolutely were at the mercy of the winds. It was an incredibly desperate situation that they were under at this particular point. Verse number 21, But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, we should have hearkened, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosened from Crete and I have gained, uh, and to have gained this harm and loss. In other words, Paul stands up and says, 
you should have listened to me. Now, in this case, I don't think it was more, it wasn't uh, more the idea of, of, I told you so, I told you so. That really doesn't help too much at this particular point. What he's trying to do is gain their confidence. Listen, guys, you're looking horizontally. I have a connection with heaven. This is a matter of life or death. We need a connection with heaven. You need to listen to what I'm saying. And so he reminds them that way back in Crete, they should have stayed at the place called Fair Haven, but they didn't stay at the place called Fair Haven, and this is why they're in the mess they're in now. But then he goes on and he says this, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. <clears throat> wow. Those are hard words, aren't they? Here you are, you're being tossed about. There's only one time when I was in really... And this was in the intercoastal. This is nothing compared to the ocean. But I was in a small boat, and I remember this boat going down in the water, incredibly deep, and then coming way up out of the water. And when you were way down in the water, you couldn't even see out over. You couldn't see anything out there. And down, and you could hear the propeller as it came up and loosed itself. It come down, boom, and it come down. And I thought, man, this is crazy, and I'm only in the intercoastal. And I've never gone in the ocean yet. That you know, that's enough for me right there. If that's the intercoastal, they say, oh, and even the guy that was in the uh, in the in the boat with me, <laughs> you know, nothing, nothing doing. I'm thinking, nothing doing. This is this is crazy. What am I? We're supposed to be fishing. I I couldn't even cast. I I couldn't even stand. I mean, we're just being back and forth. You got to hang on to for for all dear life. And that this is nuts. If this is the intercoastal, no ocean for me. And I never went to the ocean anymore. That was crazy. So that's what they're... I mean, they're facing... This is a big, big boat. We were on a very small boat. And this boat is being lurched up and bashing down and up and bashing down. And it's, they simply just let it go where the winds would take it. Now, that, that's one hairy feeling because, you see, you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's so dark out there, you cannot see in front of you. You don't know when you're going to collide into something and just blow into pieces. So here they were. All these seasoned sailors, fearing for their life, they figured, well, we'll just get busy. We'll get busy. That's what people do. You know, when, it, when they're getting a, a real problem, they say, oh, you just got to get busy and you got to work your way through it, you know? And they began to bind up the bottom of the boat. And they, 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 they began to pull down the sails and, and all they could do was throw the tackle overboard, throw whatever's heavy overboard, and they just got busy. It didn't help. It did not help, you see. And then we go on. And it says in verse number 15, And when the ship was caught and bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Claudia, we had much work to come by the boat. And verse 17, And when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the boat. We heard all that. And when we began exceeding tossed the tempest, the next day, they lighten the ship, so they begin to get busy again. And the third day, we cast out with our hands the tackle of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. They stood completely hopeless. But then after a long absence, where was Paul? 
Well, I, I, I don't think he was in there chatting with Luke or Aristarchus. I believe the three were chatting with God. And God gave them the message from heaven. And it says in verse 22, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Now, those words really don't set well with sailors. Here they were out in the midst of the sea. The tempest was great. It was like a hurricane. And basically Paul was saying, the ship's going to go, but nobody's going to lose their life. Now, how, how is that even possible? It's, it's hardly even thinkable. Verse number 23 says this, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am. Now, there's divine ownership, isn't there? What a, what, a, what a tremendous picture we have of this man, Paul. You know, Enoch walked with God in, in such an intimate way that God took him. And, and that's the kind of walk that Paul was experiencing. And I, I would suffice to say that, that Aristarchus and Luke and Paul got together before this and they got down on their hands and knees and they began to make connection with heaven. Because they knew there was, no, there was no answers out there, was they? A bunch of sailors running around, all these seasoned sailors running around. They had done everything they could. They threw their hands up in the air and they said, We don't have any hope. In a completely hopeless spirit. But there one that stood by him was the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them <clears throat> that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. That is, that it shall be even as it was told me. Albeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. So in other words, what he's saying is, I believe God, and God has told me that I and the rest of you 276 individuals are going to all make it to a certain island. We have a divine appointment. Whether you know it or not, you have divine appointment. You're coming with me. We're going to an island. In the midst of this unbelievable tempest, this heaving ship, all that was going on, the, the rain splashing in on them, this craziness that was all of it, he says, we have divine appointment. We're going to a specific island. Verse 27, But when the fourteenth night... I want you to read that real carefully. That means that we had fourteen nights where there was no viewing the stars during the night and there was no sunshine during the day. There was no way to navigate this ship whatsoever for 14 long nights. The winds just guided them? No, come on. God took the ship. He said, I want you to be on a specific island. And so He grabbed that ship and He began in its tossing fashion to move it towards that specific island. Fourteen long nights. 
from the time they left Caesarea to the time he reached Rome was seven long months. That, that's, a, that's a long time. But Paul knew that he would go to Rome. And then they began to sound and found 20 fathoms. And, and when he had gone a little further, they sounded again, 15. Then fears lest we should have fallen upon rocks. In other words, they knew that they were coming in towards shore. There are ways, I'm told, I don't know, never been a sailor, but there are ways that they can hear and they can know that we're getting close to shore because you can hear the breaking of the waves. There's a loud noise that comes from that. And the sailors knew we're getting close. And they began to send down to find out how deep they were. They sent down. It was deep, deep, deep. Then it was not so deep. Then it was, uh uh-oh, we're getting towards um, the shore. And then it says in uh, verse 29, Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors. So they cast four anchors, two in the front, two in the back. They, it's like a parking brake on a car. You know, you, you set the parking brake. You just, you just want to sit because you don't want to move any further because you know that if you keep moving, if you're moving towards land, it's going to smash your ship into pieces. So they set out the parking brake or the anchors. I like parking brake, you know, because I'm, I'm with cars. So it works better for me. Um, uh, so they sounded, uh, they feared. Uh, and as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, what had happened here, I, I thought that it was, uh, I, I kind of misunderstood this, but when I got into studying a little bit more, this is what really happened. The, the shipmen, those who were uh, really guiding the ship, they decided, wait a second, this is a goner. We're dead. <laughs> Uh, we know we're coming towards shore. Let's save ourselves. Let's save ourselves. You know, I love you guys, you other 200 or so or whatever it was left of the 276. I love you, but I don't love you that much. And they began to let down the dinghies or whatever, and they were going to row their way to the shore. Whether they made it there or not, I, I don't. well, they wouldn't have made it there because Paul said you wouldn't have made it there. And Paul, by the Spirit of God again, by the Spirit of God who kept directing him, kept directing him, he said, "Uh, Paul, they're not just letting down the boats to lighten the ship a bit more. They're trying to escape. Paul, we, we need the shipmen because they're the ones who know how to run the ship. So this is God speaking now. So, so listen, you, you need to warn. So he went to the centurion. The centurion uh, told the Roman soldiers, take and cut the, cut the lines, get rid of the boats. Everybody stays on this ship. Now, what had happened at that point? This is the interesting thing, you see. Uh, when, when they were at Fairhaven, Paul said, you know, we need to win her here. Let's just stay here, great place. It's, not, it, it, it's, it's good enough that we can win her. Let's not go any further. They didn't listen. The centurion went with the, the ship's captain and they went ahead and went forward. But at this particular point, what happens now? The centurion is told by Paul, they're trying to escape. He goes over and tells the Roman soldiers, Paul told me they're trying to escape. Cut the, cut the lines, cut the lines. They drop the little ships and they go out and smash wherever. And everybody is going to stay together. And as the shipmen, verse 30, and as the shipmen uh, were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under, uh, under collar, as though they would have cast anchor out uh, of the foreship. 
So Paul catches them. Paul is at this point, Paul the prisoner is in charge of the ship. I think everybody on that ship recognized that, that, that Paul had communications with heaven. This is a life or death situation, and Paul's the one that knows what's going on. It says earlier where uh, uh, Paul, well, it's going to say later on, it says, And while the day was come on, Paul, this is verse 33, besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that uh, we should have tarried and continued fast, having taken nothing. In other words, they weren't eating. Well, if you've ever been on a ship that's heaving up and down, you know why you don't eat. Or you'll have a mess all over the place. So these seasoned sailors and even the people, who felt like eating at that time? Nobody felt like eating. But Paul comes to them and he says, listen, you're going to need your strength. You're all going to escape. But it's going to take great effort. You're going to need your, uh, you're going to need your strength. And then it goes on in verse 35, and it says, And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God. Now, I wonder at this particular point, I've always, was there an atheist on the boat? Was there somebody of those 276 people who, when Paul bowed his head and gave thanks for that food, did not bow their heads also and pray to the living God? Oh, oh don't you see that... that, that that we're the voice in crisis. We're the voice in crisis. You see, why did God take such pains to write such detail concerning this trip from Caesarea all the way to, to Rome? Because there's a lesson in it. There's a lesson in it. And you know what? As I was sitting there looking this over and, and studying this over and mauling this over, I realized how relevant that lesson is. Let me tell you how relevant it is. Our world is in a Eurocladen right now. Our world is in a Eurocladen. A massive storm. And the only clear-cut voice in this storm will be that one who is connected with heaven. And people are going to listen. Did they in the ship? All things are going to get worse. And pretty soon, your connection, your poise in the storm, your lack of anxiety in the storm is beginning to manifest itself to those around you and you're going to be the voice of heaven I'll tell you what you're probably better off not watching the news because it's not very good our world is facing a hurricane right now do we have the voice of heaven? Are, are we going to run around like a, a, a little a chicken littles and oh, you see what happened? You see what? You see what? You see what? You see? Oh, and all these circumstances, we begin to pick out all these circumstances. You see which way I'm grabbing? Always horizontal. Always horizontal. We need to grab up. We are the only voice this world has. We are the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't add to the circumstances. 
We don't make them worse by, 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 well, the Christian, if he has no faith, if he's anxious, if he's worried, if he's distraught over these things, why, why, oh, it must be terrible then. Where was Paul? At one point, he was down in the bow of the boat, and, and he probably with his three friends, they were praying to God. And they came up with a message. They came up with a message. No one will lose their life. We are the voice in the storm. We are going to be the only voice the world can even hear. Because all we have out there is the same thing. These, these great shipmen who, who have so much experience on, on, on the water. And basically they came to the point where they said, Oh my goodness, all is lost. All is lost. So the plan of God then is thwarted. We've altered it. We've set it on a different course. No way. God's plan marches on. As the countries that surround Israel begin to riot against their own governments, only to put in place governments that are even more antagonistic against Israel. God is still in control. It all points towards what the Word of God has been saying for many, many years. And people keep coming up, even Christians, they'll keep coming up with this idea, all is going to be rosy someday. We're going to figure this thing out. We're going to... Oh, you're not going to figure it out because the Lord Jesus Christ is going to figure it out. He's the one who's going to figure it out. God is going to send His Son in order that there might be peace on earth. But this storm's coming. This storm's coming, folks, I'm telling you. Are we ready? Oh, don't, don't come along when you see that, that the walls cave in and, and the roof begin to cave in. And then you come along and you say, Oh, I want to walk with you, Lord. I need to walk with you now, Lord. Oh, we need to walk in the sunshine and we'll have no ability to walk in the rain. You better learn to walk in the sunshine. Because there's a day when the storm is going to come. And if you haven't been walking with the Lord, you're going to join in with the rest of the, of, 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 of the 276 on the boat, the rest of the world, in, in fearing and, and being full of anxiety and, and, and what's going to... All this stuff. Oh, don't you see how relevant this is? I think it's extremely relevant. A verse quoted this morning. You know, it's good when you're sitting there in the pew... And you, you look down on your notes and you say, Oh my goodness, this girl is quoting a, vo- a verse right off my notes. That's a good sign. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The only few in that boat that were not fainting were those who had a connection with heaven. And the world and all those sailors 
and all those centurions and all those big, strong, tough guys that were great leaders and administrators and they walked around and they had it all together, they suddenly they turned their eyes towards Paul. What next, Paul? What next? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In what background is this thrown at us? Judah was to be swept up by Babylon. Listen, that's got to be the worst thing that ever happens. Anyone who is in a country where it was taken over, that's a terrible feeling. Your property, no longer yours. Give it over. That's what the nation of Israel faced. And that's the verse that ends, chapter 40, in the book of Isaiah. It was during a Eurocladin, wasn't it? It was during a hurricane. And God said, those who look to me, those who wait on me, those who wait on me, I will renew their strength. I'll make them walk in a way that they'll push off the storms. That's exactly the way Paul walked. He walked in a way that ultimately at the end of this journey, he was the captain of the ship. All authority was transferred from all those big strapping centurions and those shipmates who knew the sea and thought they knew the sea. They all turned and they looked straight at Paul. What next? I think they're going to look to us and wonder, what next? How much am I connected to eternity? How much, and I, I tell you, I ask, I'm not just making this stuff, I, I ask myself this. When the Eurocladin comes, how much am I connected to eternity to the point where they will look to me. If you're not connected to eternity now, don't expect that when the storms begin, all of a sudden you're going to grab on to eternity and latch on and I'm connected. It ain't going to happen. Oh, friends, find your communion with God in the sunshine. And then when the rain comes... He'll never let go of your hand. That's the message of chapter 27. I believe it with all my heart. Why all these details about this trip? You know that they could have done this in two verses. And Paul went to sea and went to Rome. Why did we take up such a huge portion of Scripture? Because the Holy Spirit of God wanted to show what a man of God connected to heaven his influence would actually be. And we're looking at the same circumstances. Help us then to walk aright more by faith and less by sight. Let's pray. 
Our God and our Heavenly Father, we recognize that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. And oh, how profitable it is. Even if for correction, for instruction, all these things we so desperately need, our Father. Help us now to have an intimate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to, to stay in communion with Him. Follow His will, not our own. We give you thanks, our Father, for each individual here who has put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We just pray if there's anyone here who has not put their faith and trust, that they would do so. Our Father, it appears the storm is coming. Help us then, by thy grace, to walk in a way that would glorify and honor your Son. We give you thanks now in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.